we are taking the time to study the book of Revelation because there are those going around in this town and they are saying that the book of Revelation is... But O contraire, say we, for you see, the word revelation itself means that something has been revealed. revealed. Absolutely. If God wanted to conceal something, he would have called it the concealation, not the revelation. And what is it that's revealed in this book? Well, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the opening line says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so what we find is that Jesus will be revealed in this book, not as he was 2,000 years ago as he ministered here on the earth, but as he is now, we would say, in his eternal glorified state. And we'll certainly see that. And God so wanted his people to take the time to read this book that he promised that for those who would read this book, that they would receive a very special blessing. blessing. And that blessing is found in Revelation chapter 1, verse Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, this is the only time in your Bible that it says this. It says, blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of the prophecy, and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. So this is the only book of the Bible where God says, I'll bless you if you read this book. It would be hard for us to believe in a God who says, I'll bless you if you read it. I want you to hear it. I want you to heed the things that are written in it but you'll never understand it. It'd be hard for us to believe in a God like that. But God so wanted us to understand this book, knowing that there'd be those going around saying that the book of of Revelation is hard to understand, that God placed in this book its very own outline. And that outline is found in Revelation chapter verse. Revelation chapter one, verse 19. Let's look at it. This is the only book of the Bible that comes with its own outline. John is told, therefore, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. Three divisions in the book of Revelation. First division, John is told, write the things that you have seen. So we ask, what has John seen up to this point in the book of Revelation? Well, verse 13, it tells us, he says, in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man. And it goes on to give this incredible description of Jesus as we would encounter him now in eternity. Then he says, write the things which are. Now the things which are will pertain to the time period that you and I will call the church age. And that will be found in Revelation chapters and Revelation chapters two and three. Jesus will dictate seven letters to seven churches. These churches literally existed. The events that he talks about took place in those churches. But what we found as we traveled through is that because they are part of the prophecy of Revelation, these seven letters laid out 2,000 years of church history with incredible precision. If you reverse the order of any of the churches, it makes no sense. But in their order, they lay out 2,000 years of church history. But then he says, write the things which will take place after these things. Well, after what things? Well, after chapters two and three, the church age. So the next time we will see that phrase, after these things, will be in Revelation chapter verse, Revelation chapter four, verse one. Everybody turn over to chapter four, verse one. And it begins by saying, after these things, again, after chapters two and three, the church age, I look, John says, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, come up here and I will show you what must take place. It's not going to change 
after these things. And the Holy Spirit, as I say every week, is so concerned to make sure that you and I don't miss that this is the third division in the book of Revelation, that he begins the verse with the phrase, after these things, and he ends the verse with the phrase, after these things. And this is a picture of what we call the rapture of the church. John sees a door standing open in heaven, a voice like a trumpet. Voice says, come up here, and immediately John is in heaven. And as we studied chapters 4 and 5, what we found is that the entire church is there in heaven around the throne. So the church is there in heaven. One of the things that we also talked about that we find very interesting is that although the word church will be mentioned over 20 times in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, we find that from chapter 4, verse 1, to the end of the book, there's going to be one word that's going to be glaringly absent, and that word is church. And the reason being is that the church is no longer part of this story from chapter 4, verse 1, to the end of, end of the book, because the church is now in heaven, and so they're not on the ground at this point. Now, each week I say, at the end of the book of Revelation, after the story and the closing remarks, Jesus says, I wanted to show these things to the churches. So the word church will be mentioned, but after the story. So the church goes up. Church goes up in chapter 4, verse 1. That's the rapture. And then what comes down? Wrath. And that is found in Revelation chapter verse, Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. This is the opening of that time period that we know as the tribulation. It's going to be a seven-year period We'll be talking about that today. Now, it actually begins in verse 1, but we're going to focus it on verse 16. It says, And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. That's a reference to God the Father. And from the wrath of the Lamb. And the Lamb is always a picture of Jesus. And they're surprised that one day it actually happened, uh, just as the Bible said, on a world that has rejected him. Now, keep in mind, I love to say each and every week, before verse 16, there's always verse 9. Let's look at verse 9. The Lamb, that's Jesus, and again, this is that opening time of the, the tribulation. The Lamb broke the fifth seal, and I saw underneath the altar, and we saw that was in heaven, the souls of those who had been slain. They'd been killed because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. Terrible things have happened to those that God loves. And just as we are passionate about our children, if somebody harms our children, uh, we get that because we're created in his image and he is very passionate about his kids, about his kids. So we have been traveling through this book of Revelation. I want you to go all the way over to chapter 12. And we've been looking at the first part of the tribulation. We've come up to the middle but we, we've seen things as they take place globally, but we also notice that when the church goes up, God's attention, his focus goes back to the nation of Israel. And uh, God is doing some, some, some great things as he brings the nation of Israel to him. But we've been looking at some of those things. Well, last week we went through chapter 12. Chapter 12 and 13 are a section. So in chapter 12 last week, we noticed in verse 1, it said, and a great sign appeared in heaven. And then we were in verse 3, and it said, another sign appeared in heaven. And uh, we, we talked about how 
We've been looking at the book of Revelation. It's very straightforward. And uh, we take it very literally until it tells us that it's beginning to speak symbolically. It's beginning to use signs to explain some things. So chapters 12 and 13 are a single unit. And so one of the things that we find, and you want to write this down, we're still speaking symbolically. We're still speaking symbolically. Now, the good news is the symbolism that we're going to look at is very easily explained. The Bible always explains itself. So we're going to go to chapter 13. And I'm going to read the first two verses. You're going to want to underline as we go. And it says, And the dragon, the dragon is always a reference to Satan. We'll talk about that. Stood on the sand of the seashore. And I saw a beast, underline that, coming up out of the sea. We'll talk about that. Having ten horns and seven heads. Underline that. And its horns were ten diadems, crowns. And on his head were blasphemous names. This is not a good person. Verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard. I always underline the word like in Revelation. Like a leopard. And his feet were like those of a bear. And his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. You want to underline that. And the dragon, Satan, gave him his power and his throne and great authority. So a couple of things as we unpack this. First of all, you have this beast. Well, we've seen many times, so just write this down, the beast is always the Antichrist. So you want to write that down. And it says he comes out of the sea, and we're still speaking symbolically here in chapter 13. The sea is always a reference to Gentile nations, and that'll become more clear as we go. But then you have these seven heads. Well, the Bible always explains the Bible. So I want you to hold your place there, go over to chapter 17, chapter 17, And uh, I'm going to read verse 7. Chapter 17, verse 7. And it says, The angel said to me, Why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. So that's good news. He's going to tell us what's going on. Go down to verse 9. Here is the mind that has wisdom. The seven heads, you want to underline, are the seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now, um, one of the things that you find is in the Bible, the word mountains and hills are the same word in the original language. So some of your Bibles might say seven hills, could say seven mountains, either way it's the same word. In the Bible, there's one city that's called the city of seven hills. And that city is, it's Rome. Write that down. We'll see that as we go, but just, just write that down. So, There it's referring to Rome, and it's going to refer here to the empire, the Roman Empire. But then you have these ten horns. Well, go down to verse 12, and it says the ten horns, which you saw, are ten kings, I've underlined that, who have not yet received a kingdom. Now that means that whoever these kings are, they don't exist in John's time, They haven't received their kingdom yet. That's going to be very far into the future. And I would suggest to you even uh, beyond where we are right now. But they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour or one time period. So the ten horns are going to refer to ten kingdoms, ten kingdoms. You want to write that down. Now with that, I I want to go all the way back to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. And uh, we're going to what I'm going to do is I'm going to hop, skip, and jump 
as I go through Daniel chapter 7, I'll have you underline certain things so that when you read Revelation chapter 13, you go back to Daniel 7, and you go, oh, I know what that means now. So, um, and, and I'll hop, skip, and jump. So I'll, I'll begin in uh, verse 1, and I'll just read it. It says, in the first year, Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary. How many of your Bibles say summary or something like that? That's good because Daniel's not telling us the whole vision. He's giving us the main points of a much bigger vision. So Daniel said, verse 2, and I've underlined all verse 2, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And what we'll find is that the sea is a representation of the Gentile nations. Verse 3. I've underlined, and the four and four great beasts were coming up from the sea out of Gentile nations, different from one another. Verse four, the first one was like a lion. Underline that. You remember that from Revelation 13, verse five. And behold, the number of another beast, a second one resembling a bear. We saw that in Revelation 13. And after this, I kept looking. Verse six. And behold, another one like a leopard, like a leopard. Now, verse 7, he says, Now, after this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, and you want to underline, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong. And it had large iron teeth. I've underlined that. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was, and I've underlined, different from all the beasts that were before it. You want to underline, and it had ten horns. Those ten horns will be ten kingdoms. We, we saw that in, in chapter 17 of Revelation. Now, when, when we uh, go through this in Daniel chapter 2, it's Daniel seeing these kingdoms as they come in the future. And so we will know them as Babylon, the Medo-Persians, and then the Greeks, and then that became the, the Roman Empire after that. So we'll see how that fourth beast is, uh, means the, the Roman Empire. Verse, verse 8. He says, now, while I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, I've underlined that, came up among them, three, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. So you got ten horns, ten kingdoms. This one of them who's little is going to pull up three more, so they're still going to have seven is the idea. We'll talk about that later in Revelation. And behold, this horn possessed, you want to underline, eyes like the eyes of a man, and they underline this, mouth uttering great boasts, great boasts. Go to verse 11, underline, then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. It's always going to be talking. Verse 15, now as for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. Verse 16, so I approached, and I've underlined some of this, I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Underline all of verse 17. The great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise, will arise from the earth. Those will be the kingdoms that will come. We will know them as Babylon, we would know them as the Medo-Persian, the Greeks, and then ultimately the Roman Empire. Verse 19, then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different 
from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and the meaning of the ten horns which were on its head, and the other horn which came up before and before the three of them fell, namely that horn had, that had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts, uh, which was larger in appearance than its associates. And um, underline verse 21, I kept looking and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. So in this time period, whoever this fourth kingdom is, it's going to overpower the saints until verse 22. Underline that word until. The ancient of days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And then and when the time arrived, the saints took possession of the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast will be a, underline, fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and it will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. Go to verse 25. And he will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints, underline that, of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, we talked about that last week. And they will be given into his hand for a time, times, plural, and a half time. Times, time, and a half time. So we notice there in uh, verse 25, when this one comes into power, he's going to want to change times. If I say it's 2021, you say 2021 from what? Well, 2021 from Jesus. Every time you write a check and you write 2021, it points to Jesus. This one is not going to want the people who are there to point to Jesus, so he's going to want to change the times. And uh, we talked about that a little bit last time. But then it says, uh, he will trample them down for a time, times, and a half time. Time is one, times is two, and a half time. We would say three and a half years. And uh, we've talked about that a, a couple of times. This last empire, very interesting, is going to be the Roman Empire. And uh, what we find in Daniel chapter 2 will tell us, we're not going to go into it today, but it's just going to kind of fade away, but in the last days it's going to come back very, very powerfully. When you and I think about the Roman Empire, we think about things like the Parthenon, the architecture, you know, the roads and Pax Romana and all that. Uh, what we fail to uh, realize is that if you were in the Roman Empire and you're traveling around and you're going into a city, it would be very common for you to look and see all the crosses that were there and the bodies decomposing on the crosses. And that was their way of saying, if you come into this town in the Roman Empire and you get out of line, this is what's going to happen to you. It was a very bloody, very, very bloody empire. Most of our history doesn't deal with that. Well, the Bible teaches that this empire, and again, that's in Daniel 2, we can't go into it today, but it will fade away, but in the last days, it will come back much, much more strong. That will be the empire of the Antichrist. Most of us have never really thought this through, but do you know the Roman Empire was never actually conquered? It just kind of fades away. All the way in the 1100s, they had Caesars sitting on the throne. Now, that Caesar had all the authority of a local mayor, but it just kind of faded away, and it was never really conquered. Several people have tried to revive that Roman Empire. Napoleon tried, he failed. 
Hitler tried and he failed. But there will be one in the future and he will try and he will succeed at least for a short period of time. You know, about seven years, we might say. How many of you have ever heard something like, maybe growing up in church, that the European Union is the revived Roman Empire and the European Union, Union has something to do with the last days? Anybody, anybody ever heard something like that? So, so here's why you would hear this. I'm not saying that it is, but it's very interesting. When you go home today, get on your computer, and I want you to type in and look up what's called the Treaty of Rome. The Treaty of Rome. It was in the 1950s. It was a document signed, uh, and they, they held that the way that Rome, or the way that, that Europe would become strong again, they would need a common language, a common economy, a common currency, and uh, many people believe that that is that Roman Empire revived, and maybe we're seeing parts of that now. Very, very, very possible. So um, do you find that at least interesting so far? So let's go back to Revelation chapter 13. Now, we'll go through Revelation 13 later on. You can go back and cross-check these things that we underline. So now we're going to begin. We saw the leopard and the bear and the lion, and uh, th those are the kingdoms that are kind of built up, and he's kind of like those, but worse. Verse 3, we're going to get a description of, of him, and it says, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, underline that, and his fatal wound was healed. You want to underline that? And the whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, Satan, because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, the Antichrist, saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war against him? Well, um, in the Bible, he's called the beast. He's always called the beast. We'll talk about that. And uh, we tend to refer to him as the Antichrist. But when he comes into power... They're probably not going to call him the Antichrist. He's probably just going to be the leader of the New World Order. And they're going to see him as, as, a, as a great savior. So one of the things that we notice there in verse 3 is that he has a fatal wound and he's healed. He has a fatal wound and he's healed. So that tells us, and you want to write this down, there's apparently some type of assassination attempt. So they're, they're going to see him fatal wound means he dies, but he's healed. So he comes back to life. And uh, let me ask you a question. Do you happen to worship somebody who died and then came back to life? So they are going to have somebody that they believe died and came back to life. Anything that God does, Satan wants to counterfeit. So verse three, it tells us that they're going to be the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. So you can imagine a hundred years ago when they read this, they said, how could the whole world, I mean, how could the whole world be amazed? How could the whole world see this? Could we see it now? You and I live in the only generation where this could happen on the other side of the world and we could watch it in real time. Well, interesting also, if you go back to the Old Testament, there is a uh, description of this. In Zechariah, it says, woe, there on your outline, woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword will be on his arm and his right eye. His arm will be totally withered and on his right eye, and his right eye will be blind. So he's going to be killed, but when he comes back to life, he's going to have the scars of his death. Do you worship somebody 
who died and came back to life and still has the scars from his death? Well, they're going to have somebody that does the same thing because everything that God does, uh, Satan wants to counterfeit. We're going to hear about his fatal wound and coming back to life three times in this chapter. It's going to be an important identification. Verse 5, there was given to him a mouth speaking underlying arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months. 42 months was given to him. So this 42 months, this is going to be the second half of that tribulation, and that'll become more clear as we go. 42 months, three and a half years, the Jewish calendar, 1,260 days, a time, times, and a half time. We'll hear that many different times. But we notice that there's a chief characteristic that we'll see about this guy all the time. It says, there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words. So here's a chief characteristic. Write this down. He has a mouth that doesn't stop. Do you know somebody like that? Well, just so you know, they're not the Antichrist, okay? This guy being this time. But remember back in Daniel, we read this a few minutes ago. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. One kingdom tears up three others. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boasts. Great boasts. So he's always speaking. So who's he speaking against? Well, verse 6, it says, and he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. Now, where's the tabernacle of God? That is those who, and you want to underline, dwell in heaven. Who is dwelling in heaven at this point? The church, you and I. So we are the tabernacle of God and we are dwelling in heaven and he is saying terrible things about us and we don't like it. So, verse 7, and it was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, underline that, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him and all who dwell on the earth, we call those earth dwellers, uh, they want nothing to do with the Lord, no matter what God does, they will reject, they reject. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world and the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain, who's been slain. So what we see here, this fourth kingdom that comes back, every tribe, every nation, it's going to be a worldwide kingdom, a worldwide dictatorship. Those who dwell on the earth, those will be those who reject uh, the Lord, uh, they're going to worship him. And so there's going to be a revival, but there's going to be this group, they're called earth dwellers, and they're going to be worshiping him. But also we notice that in verse 7, it says they will be overcoming the saints, overcoming the saints. Now, Daniel said it like this. there on your outline. I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until, until. That word is so important. Until. The, an the ancient of days came, and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. So Daniel says in this time period, he will be overcoming the saints. And Revelation says he will be overcoming the saints. This is that last three and a half years of the tribulation, that 42 months. It can't be the church. He's not overcoming the church. First of all, the church goes up. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. We are in heaven. We've seen that. 
The other reason it can't be the church is because Jesus gave us a promise. There on your outline, Matthew 16, Jesus says, I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And you want to underline, the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The idea is that Christians have gone through some difficult times, but God always uses that to grow the church. But in this time, he will be overpowering. And this time that we are right now, uh, he is not going to be able to uh, overpower us. That makes sense? So these saints who are being overpowered, you want to write down, these are saints, those who are saved during the tribulation. The greatest revival that the world will ever see will happen after the church is removed. People will recognize they missed it. They will begin turning. But those who dwell on the earth, along with this guy called the Antichrist, will bring great, great persecution. Now, I'm going to read two verses here. This is for those who are on the earth in that time. And you have to know that this translates horribly into English. So I'll, I'll read it, then I'll paraphrase it. He says, if anyone has, has an ear, let him hear. That's going to be those who are in that time period. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and faith of the saints, of the saints. So here, um, and again, that translates horribly. This is the paraphrase. In that time period, as you read this, if you're a believer, those who have wisdom, who can see, uh, you need to hang on. You need to hang on. And there's some phraseology in there that doesn't translate, but the idea is you hang on because there's coming a time when they will get theirs, but you just hang on is the, is the idea. So have you found it at least interesting so far? This is where the plot thickens. And this has been a thick plot that's about to get thicker, followed by some more thickness. So let's see how we go. So verse 11, be prepared to underline. Then I saw another beast, underline that, coming up out of the earth, not the sea. And he had two horns like a lamb. Now in the Bible, the lamb always refers to who? So this one is going to look a lot like Jesus. Maybe he would be the earthly representative, so they might think, of Jesus on the earth in that time. At least they think that's who he is. But we notice it says he's going to look like a lamb, but he spoke as a dragon. This is not Jesus. And he exercised all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, that's the Antichrist, whose fatal wound was healed. Dies, comes back to life, still has the scars. So this one uh, is going to point people to the Antichrist uh, who has the fatal wound, who comes back to life. So the question, who is this other beast? Well, in Revelation chapter 19, it's going to tell us. The Bible always explains the Bible. And the beast was seized, and with him the underlying false prophet, who I would suggest looks a lot like a lamb, claims to represent the lamb, false prophet who performed the signs in the presence, and we'll talk about that, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. 
It's not going to be a good day for them. So in Revelation chapter 19, he calls him the false prophet. So here we're introduced to the one that we would know, the second beast or the false prophet. You want to write that down. Now, this, this one has been around. I believe that he's here on the earth right now. I have an interesting view as to who I, I think this one is. Um, and we'll talk about that when we get to chapter 17 and 18. The Antichrist is mostly political. And uh, he's the one who utters boast, boastful words. He has the fatal head wound that's, you know, he's died and come back to life. The false prophet is going to be the religious arm. His whole uh, message, ministry, whatever you want to call it, is to point people to the Antichrist. I believe that he's going to use his position as the, the world thinks, the representative of the Lamb in this time to point people to the Antichrist. You and I as Christians, we believe in what's called the Trinity. We'd say the Holy Trinity. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. Unique personalities, but three in one. Anything that God does, Satan wants to counterfeit. So just as you and I worship one who died, came back to life, still has the scars, Satan's going to want to counterfeit that. So, um, so you have a holy trinity, and you also have the unholy trinity, and it looks like this. Write this down. Uh, you have the dragon, and that would be their version of the father. That's going to be Satan. You have the first beast, and he is the antichrist, and he's going to be perceived as the savior as he dies, comes back to life, and uh, still has the scars. And we'll talk more about that as we go. But then you have the second beast, and he is the false prophet, but the false prophet will point to the Antichrist. You and I, we have the Father, the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes, he will not speak of himself, but he will point to Jesus. So they're going to have the equivalent in the false prophet, and he is going to point them to Jesus. So what does this false prophet do? Well, verse 13, it says, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. Do you remember two chapters ago, in chapter 11, there were the two, the two witnesses? Remember that? And one of the things that they did was if they needed to, they could call fire down from heaven. Remember that? So anything that God does, Satan wants to counterfeit. So this is going to be a counterfeit. He's going to be doing that. So the false prophet gets a big idea. Do you remember I said the plot thickens? This is where the thick plot begins to thicken even more. All right. So he, the false prophet deceives those who dwell on the earth, those earth dwellers, because of the signs in which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth, the earth dwellers, to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come back to life. So his big idea is to create an image 
And uh, that image is ultimately going to go into the temple and it's going to place us halfway through that time period of the the, uh, tribulation. Let me read verse verse 15. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So here you have this image and it's going to be set up, we'll see in a minute, in the temple that's going to be rebuilt and this image is going to come to life. So again, uh, there in your outline it puts, sets up the image in the temple which is going to be rebuilt, I'm suggesting probably in the next couple of years. Last week we looked at this verse. Jesus would say it like this, there in your outline. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing, that's going to be the image that's set up in the holy place, that's the temple, let the, leader, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. And we talked about that last week and a couple of weeks ago, that when they see this, they need to get out of town real quick. This will begin the second part of the tribulation. Now, there's two verses in Daniel. Let me just read them there. Daniel 11, it says, forces from him will arise and desecrate the sanctuary fortress, the temple, and do away with the regular sacrifice. He's going to claim everybody has to worship him. And they will set up the abomination of desolation. We would say that image. Now, when will this happen? He, that's the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. And we talked about how you and I as Westerners, we think in terms of 10. So if I say decade, that means how many years? 10. Jewish people think in terms of sevens. So they didn't have a 10-year decade. They had what they called a Shabua, which is a seven-year time period, a week of years. And uh, so like we have decade, they had a Shabua. So this is a seven-year covenant but in the middle of the week, Shabuah, three and a half years in, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. What he does is going to make the temple so you can't use it. Even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So at the halfway point, he sets up this image, and then he overcomes the saints for three and a half years. 42 months. Verse 15 again, it says, and it was given to him breath to the image, the beast, so that the image of the beast would even speak and causes as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. They are going to say this thing comes alive. It has to be God. If you're not worshiping what they believe is God, then it's going to cost people their lives for 42 months. Verses 16 and 17. Now here's where the thicker plot becomes even thicker. Verse 16. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves. And we mentioned how slavery is going to make a comeback in this time, and uh, probably as people sell themselves just so they can eat. Slaves, and it says they will be given a mark. You want to underline the word mark on their right hand or on their forehead. Uh, A mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell, except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast, underline beast, or the number of his name. So here you have this mark of the beast. We're going to talk about it today. It's going to be mentioned each week, so we'll unpack it as we go. Why is he called 
the beast. Every time in the Bible, he's called the beast. He's never called the guy. He's always called the beast. The word beast there on your outline from Greek just means, it's therion, it just means a little beast, a little animal, an animal. You can also translate the word beast as it or thing. And the, the point that the Bible makes time and time again is that whatever he is, he's not going to be completely human. And we'll unpack that more as we go. There's going to be something about him. So he's, he's always called the beast, beast, not completely human. And in this time, there will be a deception, and the deception will be into taking the mark of the beast. Now, the word mark is the word karagma. I put it there in your outline. It means a scratch or an etching, something that goes into the skin. And uh, it comes from the word there, karak, which just means to sharpen to a point. So if you're going to explain a hypodermic needle 2,000 years ago, which they didn't have that, they would use that word. They would use that word. So that is why, um, if, if you're around long enough and you've heard me say, back in the 70s, 60s and 70s, they had those great rapture movies. Do you remember those? And uh, they, they had 666 tattooed on the forehead. Now, and, and now here's why. Because the word mark means to stick something into the skin. And so they believed that it was probably talking about a tattoo. And so people would take that tattoo and they put that on their, on their forehead because it would mean to, to, to stick in. Now, in the 80s and the 90s, they began, as technology advanced, they began to say, well, maybe it's, it's a chip that you put under your skin. And uh, they said that because the word, the word mark means to stick something into the skin. And uh, you can't buy or sell, so they'd say, well, maybe they put a chip under your skin, you know, you scan your hand. And, and that certainly uh, is or was a possibility. Over the course of the past 15 years, a growing number of scholars who look at this began to say that it's probably something more than a chip or a tattoo. Uh, it appears to be something, and they suggest that it appears to be something like a vaccine. And this vaccine, when taken, would make them in that time period more like the beast, not completely human. The idea is it would change the DNA. Now, um, it could be um, that it's given to combat a virus, and it could be, and, and this is, the, the, I guess, the emerging thought, that what they will say is we have this virus, and it's going around, and the only way, what we found, the only way to cure this virus is that if we give you this vaccine, and what happens is we find that if you take this vaccine, it changes the DNA of the person. So you're not completely human, but it's still you. It's still you, but it changes the, the DNA a little bit. But the thing is that the virus um, doesn't affect those who have this DNA change. Does that make sense? And they may talk about some upgrades, like with this, with this we believe that this vaccine, when you take it, it will cause you to have a very long life. You won't be able to die. Do you believe in somebody who died, came back to life, still has the scars, and promises a very long existence in the future? Everything that God does, Satan will counterfeit. The difference is our eternal life 
is there in heaven, this will be the promise, if this is true, here in this existence. Does that make sense? And so um, the deception will be something like this. They will say, there's this virus. You need to take this. It's going to alter your DNA. But here's the thing. If you don't take it, then what it means is that you really don't love people. Because if you don't love people, you're just going to be being infected and infecting other people. And so if you really love people, you're going to take this vaccine. And uh, if you don't take the vaccine, it's because you really hate people. And now you're a hater. And people will be deceived into taking the vaccine. In this time, it will be a deception and it will change people so that they cannot be saved. And we'll talk about that when we get there. Am I saying, or, or are we seeing signs that maybe we are moving closer and closer to that deception? Well, here's what I can tell you. You and I live in the first time in world history where you can't buy or sell unless you wear a mask. If you wear a mask, I don't care. But I'm just saying that, that we live in the first time you can't buy or sell unless you wear a mask. You try to go into a restaurant, they stop you at the door. And uh, they're telling us that very soon that not only it won't be a mask, but you're going to have to have a certificate saying that you've had the vaccine or you won't be able to buy or sell. We're being notified that colleges are saying you can't go to college here if you don't have the vaccine. You can't get on an airplane if you don't have a vaccine. You can't do this, you can't, and you're going to have to prove that you have that vaccine. And so are we taking steps very quickly in that time period or to that time period? Well, there are thousands now of doctors and scientists who are sounding the alarm that the current vaccine that's coming out does change or can change the vaccine. It came up very, or it can change uh, the DNA of the person who takes it. And uh, there are many, many in the medical community who are sounding the alarm saying, whatever you do, don't take it. There's actually been doctors in our congregation who've said, we've looked at it, don't take it, whatever you do. Now, I'm not saying don't take it. Uh, I'm not a doctor, and I don't play one on Sunday. <laughs> but, so you, you have to. You know you, you know, you have to think about what you're doing. My point is, in that day, you, they will not be able to buy or sell unless they have the mark, something that goes into the skin. I'm not saying, and this is not, the vaccine today is not the mark of the beast because the church has to be removed. Here's what I am saying. The events of the tribulation are now so close that they are casting their shadow down on the time period that you and I live in. And we're seeing the beginnings of those things. Does that make sense? Yes. So uh, we'll be talking about that more as we go. Well, verse 18, we'll wrap it up. Here is wisdom. Well, let me, let me uh, say one thing here on your outline. The question is, will they take this mark unknowing? You know, will they, will they not know? Will they be, you know, well, Revelation 14, we'll talk about it next week. Then it says, then another angel, a third one, followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink in the wine of the wrath of God. I'm suggesting that whatever this is, you won't be able to be saved anymore because you won't be fully human. And we'll talk about that when we get there. So no one will take the mark unknowingly. Verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for the number is that of a man and his number is 666. 
this, this one, whoever he is, will not be revealed until the church is removed. So when you say, maybe it's this one, that one, have you ever received an email saying, you know, we, we took this person, we calculated their name, it comes out to 666, uh, and just know that all of that is false. And we won't know until that time. And when it is, it'll probably be uh, Greek or Hebrew, not English. But that's a story for another day. Well, did you find that at least interesting today? Good. The Bible is becoming very, very precise. We're seeing these things begin to unfold before our very eyes. And so as we close in prayer today, there are two groups that we see. One is the earth dwellers. They reject, reject, reject. There's another in this time period that dwell in heaven. You want to be part of that group. And the way that you become part of that group is you receive the free gift of God, and that is that Jesus paid the price for everything you've ever done, would ever do, and it's a free gift. The earth dwellers, whether it's his goodness or his wrath, they don't want them. Don't be one of them. As I close in prayer today, you have the opportunity, just invite Jesus in, and uh, you'll, you'll never regret that decision. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for letting us see some things. Thank you for giving us the blessing of reading this so that we can see the time period in which we live in and for unfolding some of these things. Lord, we look to you, and we don't want to be the earth dwellers in Revelation who constantly reject you. We want to be those who dwell in heaven with you, and we want the relationship that you have for us. So right now we say, Jesus, I receive your free gift of salvation. Thank you for paying for everything I've ever done. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for calling me. I want to be yours. And he promises that when you invite him in, he will never leave. And if that's you today, you will never regret that decision. Let somebody know that you invited Jesus in to your life today. Father, I pray that you keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.